0: You're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Well, howdy, and welcome back to Prairie Justice, the Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. And for once, I did not blow that title in my first take. Yes, and it is Ranger Gord, and... um, I probably should introduce myself again because you probably don't remember me. You last heard a regular Prairie Justice podcast probably sometime back in May or June. I know I did a Stargirl special episode. Uh, There was Action 48 somewhere before or after. I don't quite remember. And then we'd have the Omnibus Seven Soldiers of Victory, uh, which occurred in nine parts or seven parts rather. And it apparently took me all summer to get out. Uh, And it has been a summer um, in the fresh hell that is the province of Alberta under the Kenny government and the fourth wave of COVID. But I ain't dead yet. And uh, my job has been keeping me fairly well on the road. And I think I will explain that more when I get over to uh, Greg Saunders Rodeo Radio because I believe... uh, i have a tune that may accurately explain my state of mind over since uh, probably since the month of june as i write this today or play this today i should say or speak into the microphone or whatever it is i'm doing it is thanksgiving monday uh canadian thanksgiving of october because i do live on that side of the line and um probably by the time you hear this we may be celebrating america's thanksgiving but at any rate um We've got a sh- action forty nine queued up for you today, and then uh, after the uh, after the, the drama and after the song, we will uh, read your cards and letters, and then I'll let you on your way. So thank you much very much, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, as far as I don't have a lot of vigilante news, um, other than the uh, Star special has been really well received, and I, I'm uh, I'm really glad to see that, and I hope DC. Uh, sees that maybe that there is a market for some of these Golden Age characters after all, without having to darken them all up like they usually do. And so we'll see how it comes out of that. Uh, Speaking of Stargirl, the uh, Season 2 is back on the air. uh, Much more JSA-oriented this year. Um, We've been seeing a little bit less of the the Infinity, Inc. characters that... uh, populated the first episode and um, very little of the seven soldiers of victory back now here's thursday ranger gourd uh, about to correct monday ranger Gord. i was about to say that we hadn't seen anything of the seven soldiers of victory this season fortunately i didn't finish this post and uh and post it because i would have found out that on tuesday night in episode 12 of stargirl We did see um, a flashback to Sylvester Pemberton and Pat Dugan in the JSA headquarters in Civic City, which, by the way, is a comics-correct thing. And apparently in the Civic City headquarters, all JSA members have their own uh, personal little workspace, uh, which Sylvester and Pat use as a garage and a workshop to... uh, to uh, develop the Star Rocket Racer. And in this very uh, clean and pristine garage, there is some uh, posters on the wall. There is the, uh, the picture that we saw very much in, uh, throughout uh, Stargirl Season 1 of the Seven Soldiers of Victory in a, uh, in a lineup. And there was also some um, posterized newspapers. Uh, framed newspapers up on the wall and one of them that gives us a slight hint perhaps uh, something either later in the season or more likely in season three maybe we'll be attending a Grace Saunders uh, Roundup restaurant at some point here if we're looking at a retired vigilante there's been talk of a character named Vigilani appearing in um, I believe it's the Peacemaker series that's going to be coming up on HBO Max, but alas, um, it's the Adrian Chase vigilante because we haven't seen that before in the Arrowverse, now have we? So uh, DC, I don't know what is what is so hard about plopping a cowboy hat onto an actor and putting him on a motorcycle and putting him into one of these shows. It's one of the easiest characters you'll do. I think Legends would probably be the place for him. And in fact, um, the Legends verse had an Old West episode where they had a character that very well could have been uh, Greg Saunders. He was a uh, basically sort of a traveling uh, Western minstrel that came up in with... Uh, I guess, pithy songs every now and then through the drama. And uh, I thought, I was hoping maybe at some point they would uh, introduce him as Greg Saunders, but alas, that did not happen. So that probably was good as we're getting in live action for Mr. Saunders. That, in fact, was in Legends of Tomorrow, Stressed Western, uh, Season 6, Episode 8, ran last on June 27th, 2021. And the character playing the uh, the wandering cowboy, listed as cowboy narrator on the IMDb, was an actor by the name of Dwayne Keel, a Canadian actor, in fact. So that's about it for for the news roundup. Uh, now a podcast promotion from uh, Billy D and Herman Wool on a great new show they have just launched, featuring Infinity Inc. A fine contribution to the Earth-2 Golden Age era of DC podcasts. Stellar Studios presents an Into the Weird and a World on Fire production. Starring in alphabetical order. Brainwave Jr. Fury. Jade. Northwind. Nuclon. Obsidian. The Silver Scarab. The Star-Spangled Kid. These are the members of Infinity, Inc., the protégés and children of the legendary Justice Society. Created by Roy Thomas, Jerry Ordway, and Mike Macklin, their 1980s adventures are chronicled at last by Herman Lowe and Billy Dee, two podcasters with way too much time on their hands, but dedicated to analyzing, glorifying, and sometimes vilifying the stories from the team's first series. So hop in your Star Rocket Racer, switch on the radio, and let's rediscover the Earth 2 we'd all like to go back to. Star Rocket Radio, an Infinity Inc. podcast. Soaring through the potter sphere since September 2021. Hi, welcome back. And today we're going to discuss the Vigilante story from Action Comics 49 and our indiciae information from compliments of Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, uh, Action Comics 49, uh, published by Detective Comics, 480 Lexington Avenue, New York, New York. Our cover date is June 1942, but the date I usually like to be concerned with is our on-sale date, April 17th, 1942. So our story happens in and around that point in time. Uh, Action Comics is a monthly comic at this point in time. For one one thin American dime, you get 64 pages, and your editor is Frederick Whitney Ellsworth. Uh, The title of our pages, or our story rather, is The Rainbow Man. We've seen The Rainbow Man before, earlier. Uh, This is going to be a 12-page story, so we've shrunk a little bit from uh, Vigilante's usual 13 pages. And that'll reflect a little bit in the art. There's a lot of story packed into this 12 pages. And our feature, of course, is Vigilante, Grey Sounders of Earth 2, Um, Now, interestingly, we have uh, listings for the penciler and the anchor, Mort Meskin and Cliff Young, of course, going under the uh, pseudonyms Mort Morton. We don't seem to see a uh, credit for the scripter. I don't know why that is, but I have no reason to believe that this is not, once again, Mort Weisinger. It's just his style. Now, could be possible. Meskin scripted it. Uh, We just don't know. And, of course, we've last seen Vigilante in leading comics number two in our our past seven podcasts here on Prairie Justice. And in our remarks, this, of course, is the second appearance of the Rainbow Man as our villain. And we will also see the second appearance of his main henchman, The Dictionary. Now, when you pick this comic up, wherever you were, you may have noticed on April 17th, uh, on Friday, that the Japanese forces in Burma had reached the town of Yen and Yang. The main oil fields in Burma were destroyed to prevent them from falling into the Japanese hands. Uh, And we also would have noted the death of the French physicist and Nobel laureate Jean-Baptiste Perrin. What you would not have known on April 17th is that we were one day away from the Doolittle Raid, which was a U.S. Army Air Force raid, uh, assisted by the U.S. Navy on the principal capital of Japan, Tokyo. Did very little damage, but it was considered the, uh, the main revenge for Pearl Harbor. And, uh... We did much to raise American morale once that uh, news of that was learned. Did little to raise the morale of the men on the Doolittle Raid because most of them crash-landed in either China, uh, the Soviet Union, or or passed away in flight as, they are, as their planes ran out of gas. Um, it also brought a bit of a morale boost to China, but unfortunately that was stemmed when the Japanese forces occupying China um, decided to retaliate against the Chinese people. And um, that led to probably what is estimated probably a quarter of a million unnecessary deaths at the hands of the Japanese army in that uh, Doolittle raid retaliation. And I also note that on April 18th, the Toronto Maple Leafs defeated the Detroit Red Wings in Game 7 for the Stanley Cup. So we did have hockey games throughout World War II, and that was probably the last time the Toronto Maple Leafs won anything. No, I'm kidding. That was actually 1967. It's, it's kind of a small joke that we have amongst Canadians. As, uh, <laughs> we like to knock the, the Toronto Maple Leafs around a little bit so to the comic we action comics 49 again uh the headed the world's largest selling comic magazine and that's probably because whitney ellsworth has decided to warm up the vigilante feature with a guy named superman as always on, on most of the covers as we tend to see on this cover uh, mike says it's done by fred ray and i have no reason not to disbelieve it Superman is uh, getting in front of three Tommy guns, which are firing at a 1939 Ford police car with a very shocked policeman uh, driving. And, um, you know, Mr. Policeman, they probably wouldn't shoot at your car if you didn't have a great big target on the door of that. Um, I don't know Metropolis Police Department. You need to be talking to your brand uh, people on that. Don't drive around with targets on your door. Um, the title of the Superman story, which um, introduces us to the puzzler. And the story is called The Wizard of Chance. And our penciler is John Sekella on there, writer Jerry Siegel, the creator of the character. I probably got more money for this story than he did for the rights. And one thing I seem to notice is that our supporting cast in Superman seems to be solidified. Of course, Lois Lane has been there from the start, but we also have Perry White and Jimmy Olsen, who were characters that migrated over from the radio show. So no more George Taylor here in this continuity. We have the usual Henry Boltonoff one-page gig cartoons. Uh, we get past Vigilante Story and we meet the three aces once again, who are no longer just uh, sort of civilian pilots. They are flying for the U.S. Army Air Force at least appears by the uh, by the planes. So if we ever did an All-Star Squadron again, I hope that they work the three aces into it somehow because this, this you have some People actually in combat zones. We have Mr. America and Fat Fat Man by Bernard Bailey. And they're fighting the Queen Bee. Uh, We have text pieces by Safeguard by John Hilton. Congo Bill. Who in a wartime story that will be pretty much contemporary at their point in time. He's helping a uh, strategic line feeding the embattled forces of Chiang Kai-shek up the Burma road. And that is very contemporary and very topical as we talked about uh, Burma in what was uh, happening in the real world here in April, 1942. We have War in the Air, uh, which is a book that is worth reading. This is is a uh, literary recommendation. And Zotera is fighting the story of the magical mobsters. Now, one thing I wanted to talk about that I glossed over in my look through Action 49. Two-page feature called the Supermen of America. And actually it's called the Supermen of the U.S. Army. This is a two-page set piece, one-page text, and one piece page of art, three panels tells the real-life story of Captain Colin P. Kelly Jr. And here I'll take a little time to read the text piece. Uh, Hello again members, this time I want to talk to you about a great American hero Captain Colin Kelly Jr. whose gallant story appears in pictures on the opposite page. You have all read about Captain Kelly's daring and successful attack on the Japanese battleship Haruna, a great victory which cost him his life. When his big bombing plane was attacked and set afire by the fighter craft, Captain Kelly ordered his crew to bail out. He might have saved his own life by taking to his parachute, but he also chose to stay with his plane like a true captain. Colin Kelly Jr. was born in Monticello, Florida, July 11, 1915. He attended high school in Madison, Florida, and was appointed to the United States Military Academy at West Point. He graduated in June 1937 was commissioned second lieutenant of infantry. Classmates and instructors recalled that Kelly was interested in scientific aerial bombardment from the time he was a plebe at West Point. His disposition was a happy one. He was quick to laugh. But one sub- subject which he was treated completely without humor was aviation. He took his flying with deadly seriousness. In 1938 and 1939, Kelly attended first primary and then advanced schools of the Army Air Corps, specializing in bombardment. By September 9, 1940, he advanced to the rank of captain. He had served with the 32nd and 42nd Bombardment Squadrons and was transferred to Hickam Field, Hawaii, March 28, 1941. Captain Kelly's keen analysis of military values led him to predict that a bomber could pierce a battleship's vulnerability, a statement that he later confirmed at the cost of his own life. The world has thrilled to Kelly's brave feat and has justly acclaimed him the number one hero of World War II and uh, editorial to this point. And in tribute to his great courage, President Roosevelt has written a letter into the future a letter to the now-unknown man who will be President of the United States in 1957, urging him to consider Captain Colin Kelly Jr.'s son for appointment to the United States Military Academy at that time. But without wishing to detract from Captain Kelly's great heroic deed, it must be said that there are thousands of other American youths in our armed forces who would be just as willing to sacrifice their lives for their country. For America's freedom has been built on so many instances of self-sacrifice—the men who died at Lexington and Concord, the soldiers who perished at Bunker Hill, Bull Run, the Air American Expeditionary Forces who were killed in action in the Argonne—they have not died in vain. And Captain, uh, Ka- sorry, and Colin Kelly has not died in vain. His spirit lives on in every American youth. It is that unconquerable spirit, that inherent love for freedom, that will make us never forget to remember Pearl Harbor. And this story is signed by a young cub reporter named Sincerely Clark Kent. So it's good to know that Clark uh, was also doing some journalism as well. And that's a a rousing piece of patriotic, um, sort of on the slight edge of propagandic, that at least would be uh, put out to American youth through the pages of Action Comics here. So now on to our Action 49 drama as Vigilani and Stuff once again encounter the colorful world of the Rainbow Man. Vigilani by Mort Morton. Our vivaciously vivid splash page... Opens to reveal an artist's palette board. Around the palette board are squeezed out several squibs of colored paint, all in the face of our villain, the Rainbow Man. And in the center of that palette is the miniaturized vigilante struggling to twirl his lariat in defense against a large and monstrous artist attacking him with a paintbrush and a glob of red paint. So, once again, crime's rebel artist, the Rainbow Man, camouflages his crimes in color with the vivid hues of the spectrum. Brilliant yellow. Lurid scarlet and sinister black form a palette of plunder for this pirate painter as he executes the most colorful coups of his career. But before the rainbow comes the storm in the persons of the vigilante and stuff as they stalk the Rainbow Man. Ironic indeed is the occupation of crime's color artist as he serves out his sentence in the state penitentiary by painting. How did the warden like the picture I painted for him, Morgan? Swell, Rainbow Man. He even gave his okay for you to paint a mural in the hospital. You can start as soon as you finish painting these searchlights. later in the day... The color king's henchmen get together. What's the white dictionary? Yeah, how's the boss's plan working out? Exceedingly well, brethren. We are to put into execution the stratagem previously formulated. In other words, get going. A short time later. Take this, you dirty rat. Why, you fool. You'll pay for this. See what I mean? While in another part of the yard... Here's a taste of something for you. (laughs) Full of all that. You must be going stir-crazy. Finally, Dictionary carries out his part of the plan. It grieves me to do this, but... Oops. Missed. I didn't think you were dumb enough to try what your pals tried, Dictionary. Oh. Now you can keep them company in the hospital where my pals sent them. As dictionary is carted to the hospital, those chums of yours are getting dumber every day. You were smart, Rainbow Man, to behave yourself so the warden would give you favors. <laughs> Just how smart I am, the warden shall know tonight when I paint the mural in the hospital. A mural of escape. <laughs> That night, under guard, the Rainbow Man begins his mural in the prison hospital. Your pals weren't so smart, were they? While they're lying in there with their heads aching, you're allowed to paint. No, they weren't smart at all. And neither are you. What's going on out here? Paint is going on. You glup. Arise, chums! The Rainbow Man has the situation well in hand! My eyes! This paint is blinding me! Harry, cover yourselves with this black paint. You'll be as invisible as the night itself. Wait for me, fellas! Get a horse! Boss, how about the searchlights? When they go on, all this black paint will have been to no avail. Silence, fool! Do you think that I haven't taken care of that? At that moment, the shrill blast of the prison siren is sounded. The Rainbow Man's gang is making a break for it. Get the searchlights turned on. They are turned on, but no lights coming out of the lens. Why, boss, you affected our liberation with characteristic foresight. We are safely away from the walls of the penal institution. have learned that the searchlights didn't shine because the lenses were covered with black paint. But their wisdom comes too late. (laughs) Yes, the color black has served us well. And there are more colors I shall select to reach vengeance on the vigilante. In fact, our first act will be to lure him to us. Then I shall toy with him, like a cat with a mouse, before I end his life. The next day, streaming headlines herald the startling news. Orch Street, Rainbow Man escapes, Color King uses paint to free himself and gang. And in a house on Mott Street, Young Stuff, that Chinatown kid is most excited of all. Holy temple blocks. I'd better call the Prairie Troubadour and see if the vigilante is going to work on this. Yes, Tuff, that's right. The vigil just told me to ask you to meet him at the railroad terminal. Track 29. It's obvious that the Rainbow Man wants to smoke the vigilante out in the open. But I wonder why he was so dramatic with this note. Two great Sanders. Tell the vigilante that this is his next lesson in art. I shall place brown over blue and get green with the help of a little red. Let him stop me if he isn't yellow. (laughs) The Rainbow Man. And once again, the Prairie Troubadour switches into his other identity the lariat swinging Western Warrior. The Vigilante. I may be off on a false trail, but I've got a hunch that Rainbow Man varmint means business at the terminal. Stuff may be able to help me. The Railroad Terminal, track 29. The Chattanooga Limited should be here any second now. Man, I'll be glad to see these bags of green and company's bonds safely onto that train. There's a fortune here. While a score of yards away. So that's how I have it figured, Stuff. The note said brown over blue. Blue would be for the police. To get the green means green and the company's bonds. And as for the red, That baggage card is red. But how about brown over blue? Where does the brown come in? It's coming right now. Look, those guards are wearing brown uniforms. Wow, now I begin to get it. Let's see what happens. As you may note, by perusing the contents of this document, we as official guards are relieving you of your duties. Sure, take it over, it's okay with us. Several moments later, when the police detail has gone. Listen, Stuff, I hear the train coming. Let's move. Right, Veg. Let's swing down to the tune of Chattanooga-choo-choo. As I live and breathe. Look who graces our presence. Yeah, well I got a present for your grace. So, you feel like delivering the mail. Well, here's one marked special delivery. Yes, sir. Track 29, where I can give you a shine. The lawman of the range lashes out with whirlwind fists. There's nothing I like better than KOing coyotes. Hey, Fidge, low bridge. Thanks, stuff. That's enough. You got the gong, bushwhacker. Get off the stage. But the word slinging dictionary makes a desperate break for freedom with a fortune in bonds in his grasp. I thought that guy was out cold. I must be losing my touch. That Chinatown kid takes a sprinter's start and... Always wanted to ride one of these things anyhow. Hey Muggs, shinny on your side. I think it advisable to divest myself of all extraneous encumbrances. In short, I'll take it on the lamb and scram. But fate deals a card from the bottom. A heavy bond sack sweeps stuff off balance, pinning him to the card as it swerves towards the oncoming locomotive. Thunder and bison, the kid's headed straight for the engine. But, a split second later, the lightning leap of the lawman's lariat. And as the locomotive thunders by, the hemp and hoop noses of death. Whew! This news is good news. Stuff. Stuff, are you okay, kid? I'm okay now, bitch. Thanks for the rope art. But gosh, those rats got away. We'll get them double for this, pal. And I know where they are, too. Here, take a look at this note they dropped for us. Dear vigilante, I shall be pleased to give you your next lesson in your art education if you will call at my studio where all colors are blended. Yours truly... The rainbow, man. Maybe I'm colorblind, but I don't get it. When you blend all colors, you get white. So I figure they're holding up at the white building. Let's get going. For goodness sake, I told you we was on the wrong train. We're in Texas. Meanwhile, at the rendezvous of the king of color. We are delighted to report that we have procured the bonds. Yeah, and we left the note for the vigilante like you told us to. Ah, then. He should be here within the hour. And when he arrives, we shall have a warm welcome ready for him. Eh, boys? <laughs> Suddenly. The vigilante! In person. And with a supporting cast of one. The arch criminal sneaks a bony hand towards a button and presses it. Mm, How nice of you to drop in like Uh, Why don't you? A section of the floor drops away and (laughs) drop in further. The Chinatown kid and the vigilante plummet to the bottom of a pit-like room. (laughs) Now I shall report the color scheme of our next undertaking. Spin the color wheel, dictionary. (laughs) The arrow is on the gray strip between the green and the blue. Shall I impart more momentum to it again in order to produce a more definite result? No. We shall use crimson and sky blue. As well as gray. Ah, gray. That reminds me, there is a lot of dough in pies. <laughs> now we shall leave you to reflect on the folly of your meddlesome ways. As the walls of your tomb close upon you, this spotlight will grow darker in hue. Until you are slowly crushed to death. A fitting finish to your drop career. (laughs) Sometime later, as the walls roll closer together. That's what I said, Stuff. Closer these walls get, the better it gets for us. Confucius never said that, Vidge. Meanwhile, at the waterfront, an armored car is delivering the payroll to a shipyard. Suddenly, as the armored car rounds the corner, What's this? A dead end! Look out, Mike! The truck swerves suddenly to avoid plunging into a trick only to crash with terrific impact into a building. The Rainbow Man and his thugs rush out from behind the painting of the brick wall. This harmonious blending of your paints has accomplished our objective. Shut up and get the money out of the track. Harry, there's no time to lose. Verily, our conveyance is arriving now. A delivery truck for Grandma Gray's Pies drives up to complete the crime artist's portrait of plunder. Load the stuff on the truck, and we'll be through the city without any trouble. <laughs> Meanwhile, in their narrowing tomb, stuff and the vigilante watch the hues of light grow darker. Any sound now, and it's time to make our move. I hope you're right. If you're not, I'm going to be a Chinese pancake in no time at all. Plenty leaps. These walls are as smooth as glass, but my spurs take care of that little difficulty very nicely. A few seconds later, he scrambles out of the pit. The colors are darker than ever. I'll have to work fast. The next instant, the swish of the range warrior's lariat. Give a good man enough rope and he'll pull himself out. I hope. The spotlight changes to deep purple. Why couldn't I have been born like the thin man? Just as the color deepens to ebony black. Whew! That was the closest call we've had in a long time. You said it. Another minute, we wouldn't have had a chance. We got in here easy enough, but how about getting out? We'll have to find a way, Stuff. No telling where those rattlesnakes will be an hour from now. (laughs) This door is solid steel and barred from the outside. Take a look out the window. Yeah, maybe there's a chance that way. Hey, Vidge, come here, quick. Look down on the street there. It's a Grandma's Gray Pies truck. By gosh, do you think? Sure. Remember what they said about using gray? And that there's a lot of dough in pies. Hey, boss. Look, they got out somehow. With a certainty they have affected their release. I suggest that we dispatch ourselves from this locality with great haste. Vidge, they've seen us. They're getting away. We've got to stop them. But how? Hey, look at that flag. That gives me an idea. A few seconds later, Vidge shinnies out the narrow stone ledge to the flagpole, 30 feet in the air. Even the Grand Canyon didn't look any higher than this. As the truck pulls out from the curb, waiting for its turn to edge into the traffic stream, the vigilante slips on the narrow ledge. Whoa! But a lightning move by the Chinatown Kid... Gotcha! A split second later, an object hurtles down toward the earth. We shall deal with the vigilante later. For well, now, we have accomplished our first goal. Well, yeah, this is so easy, it's funny. What was that? I don't know, so whack. Don't stop to look. As long as the cops don't stop us, we're safe. But as if to tempt fate, two policemen do notice. We'll just never cease. Will you look at that? A pie wagon flying the flag? Hey, wait, they can't do that. It's against the law to fly our country's flag upside down. Come on. In a few moments, police converge on the criminals from all directions. The police stop the truck, and the thugs come tumbling out. Well, if it ain't the artist of the crime with his playmates, this is outrageous. I'm positively mortified. I shall report this to my congressman. In 15 or 20 years, I suppose. A few minutes later. Get in there, you guys. Let's have a look at your layout. Hey, Sergeant. Look, it's the vigilante. Suddenly, the color king makes a break. I'll get you, vigilante, if it's the last thing I do. This is the last down. Jail to go. You got your signals mixed this time, big boy. Later. The rainbow man probably saw yellow canaries after that. Yes, Sergeant. He certainly had a swell sense of color. Sure, but the red, white, and blue trapped him, eh, Vidge? The vigilante pits Western wits and weapons against big town gunmen next month. When he meets the man who came back, the end. Well, now on Greg Saunders Rodeo Radio, I'd like to feature uh, a man that I've been listening to most of my life: uh, Texas-born singer-songwriter Larry Gatlin. Now you may remember him from the 1980s when he and his brothers Steve and Rudy had a big hit uh, crossed over on the pop charts called All the Gold in California. Now that was his best selling song but I didn't think it was his best. Uh, By that point in time I'd been listening to him on country stations uh, for a long time and he was best known for having a a great tenor voice that his brothers backed him up on with uh, wonderful three-part harmonies. Uh, Larry came up sort of in the school of Chris Christofferson and Willie Nelson in the early 1970s and had a lot of uh, success on country radio um, before finally hitting with that All the Gold in California. But uh, like uh, he was a, a singer-songwriter that paid his dues and uh like most uh, people that uh, get into that sort of a business, they have a lo- bit of a hectic life. And um, Larry had a good sense of humor. And he came up with this song that uh, was put into a lower tempo on one of his albums, which I thought was a bit of a mistake. Uh, however, on a uh, TV special around about 1980 or 81, I believe I remember seeing this, he... Uh, brought the tempo up on this sort of in a solo presentation in front of a very intimate uh, audience that uh, could respond to the humor of his song and uh, this song basically encompasses how i've been feeling the last few months Um, i'm holding a job in one town and uh, maintaining a life in another trying to write books Uh, trying to see my daughter who is getting married every now and then and um, running the crews um, that are associated with the, the museum and my workload has besides all that my workload has been doubled this year at the museum as I am now taking care of not only placing and displaying artifacts I'm now taking care of the cataloging numbering and all of those procedures and I'm not complaining because I do love my job but uh covid year 2 has been proven very very in- as interesting as covid year 1 and I can't wait for the end and and hopefully to not see covid year 3 at any rate uh I think Larry Gatlin pretty much gets my way of thinking here in this tune called Ode to the Road.
1: Uh, This is a song that I wrote uh, one night in a fit of something. I don't know. Uh, I'd been on the road for 21 days on a record promotional tour and uh, I'd been to 18 different cities and uh, when I got home to Nashville after that uh, I didn't know whether I was scratching my watch or winding my fanny. I was a little bit... Got another one. I was a little bit berserko. So I sat around in a fit of depression, I guess, and wrote this song trying to get my poo-poo back in perspective. It's called Ode to the Road, and it's very clever, and you're going to have to listen real good because I wrote it awful well. (laughs) Sang the heck out of it now. I'm afraid I'm just a figment of my own imagination because only someone just like me could ever dream me up. Usually gets a chuckle, thank you, man. Thank you. Let me do it again. Only someone just like me could ever dream me up. Courtesy laughter, thank you. I'm the 14 carat cuckoo, living color animation. The cross between the silver chalice and the Dixie Cup. That's better. Mr. Serling, I believe that I'm a sterling example of the twilight zone you used to rave about. I've been a-picking and a-grinning 30 days without a day off. I've given and I've given till I'm afraid I'm plumby about. I'm getting weirder by the minute from the things I ain't been smoking and reality is blowing me away. I've been searching for. Vegas to Hoboken, and if you see me, kindly tell me I went that way. You see, all my bread ain't hardly done, and if it were, I'd still be one brick shy of the number it takes to make up a load. My hair just died of jet lag, and I'm zipped inside my hanging bag. So check this bag in Nashville Porter. God, I love the road. One night this didn't have anything to do with the song but y'all are giggling so i thought i'd throw it in i was in dallas texas with roger miller i don't know whether that's for roger or dallas it's dallas what do you got against roger <laughs> no we think we were in dallas uh, we ain't real sure uh with the so high we've gone duck hunting with a rake as a kid. We're just sitting around picking and drinking some Coca-Cola's and stuff, you know. And Roger has this game he plays with me. He, uh, he'll he make up the first line of a song and just kind of throw it at me and see if i got enough gear to come back with something, you know. So we're sitting there and Roger said, Don't fall in love with anyone from Cleveland if they've been known to have strong family ties. I said, if the doctor says you got a week to live, go live in Cleveland. It'll seem like a year before you die. (laughs) Y'all been to Cleveland? (laughs) It's great. Actually, I uh, I wrote the second verse of this song about a small place in New Mexico called Tucumcari. Garden spot. The Tucum of the Great Southwest area, man. That's it. The Cleveland of the Great Southwest is Tucum Care. It's the only place in the world you can stand in mud up to your butt and dust blowing your eyes. <laughs> That's where the Greyhound bus stops and the dog gets off and takes a leak. Right. I know right now this song ain't going on TV. I told in a tavern down in Tucumcari Tuesday And Wednesday I got welded to a socket on the wall Plugging in my amplifier The whole darn thing caught on fire Living better electrically ain't where it's at after all I'm getting weirder by the minute From the things I ain't been smoking And reality is blowing me away I've been searching for me everywhere From Vegas to Bogus if you see me, kindly of tell me I went that way You see, all my bread ain't hardly done If it were, I'd still be one brick shy of the number It takes to make up a load My hair just died of jet lag And I'm sipped inside my hanging bag So check this bag to Nashville, Porter God, I love the road Oh, check this bag to Nashville, Porter Wagner quit the road
0: Thank you, Mr. Gatlin. I hope to check back on uh, Larry Gatlin and some future editions of Greg Sanders Rodeo Radio. And now, my comments on the story we just read, The Rainbow Man from Action 49. So now we begin with uh, the splash page, of course. Uh, Splash page is in the golden age. I think this is a lost art. I don't know if, if we're ever doing these correctly. Uh, since these are features that we're never going to see their own title, I guess these would always uh, consider that uh, the splash page of a character such as Vigilante is being the cover to his own book. And uh, I, I, I always think this is where Wormt Meskin really stretches his legs. And this is where we start to see the beginnings of that great golden age trope of gigantism. Um, you know, many of you who have ever delved into uh, Dick Sprang, Batman, you're aware of Batman and Robin, you know, the, the giant penny, the giant typewriters, all these sorts of things that they would jump around on. And that's sort of a thing that uh, I think all Golden Age artists played around with. They're just trying to uh, see what they can do with this modem the, the, or the media in this mode of art. And um, I, I guess just having some fun with the whole, uh, whole information. You'd never see this sort of a thing done in a, in a movie, motion picture of the time or on a cartoon. But uh, here we see you know, Vigilante. He's on a giant pallet. And uh, he, this is a, not a pallet for lifting, but a pallet of art. And all of the little squibs of paint there are shaped like the rainbow man's head. Like that isn't spooky enough. And uh, somebody, a a giant artist with a, a very devilish claw hand, I guess this symbolizes the evil in men's soul, has picked up a little glob of red paint and is about to paint the miniaturized vigilante with it. And he's defending himself with the lariat. Of course, these sorts of things are not scenes that happen within the story they're just pure symbolism now as i said our page count is down from 13 to 12 these this uh this run so having done the splash uh mort is is faced to have to tell his story here in 11 pages and the panels are getting very very small and it's sort of in a comic strip kind of a style of course, the comic strip and the in the coloreds, you know, they've only got like half a panel every week to tell their story, and this is sort of what uh, I believe Meskin is playing around with. And uh, the arrangements are very neat. We don't seem to have that nine-panel grid anymore. Mort is just doing whatever he needs. If he needs a rectangle, he has a rectangle. If he needs a uh, a circle, this is what he does. Now of course this um, makes it a little bit difficult to tell the story because you have to really know which way the you're, you're supposed to read this. Uh, but at least on this first page, um, we we seem to this flow seems to go okay. It goes from left to right and then back to left again. Your your eyes are sort of like a typewriter, and this is this. Uh, the first page is uh, how the Rainbow Man and the Dictionary foment a prison guard riot. And this is brutal. Uh, Rainbow Man's goons are going at prison guards with knives and shivs, I guess, and whatever things sharp that they can do. And the guards are swinging back with their billy clubs, and they are not holding anything back. Uh the, the inmates are, are getting what they're given. And in fact, so much so that the, the dictionary seems to feign one because he's trying to get sent into the prison hospital because uh, I believe as the story goes along, the hospital will be much easier to, to get out of. And of course, the Rainbow Man is just sort of up in the guard tower watching this, and for some reason, he's been contracted to paint the searchlights. Now why would you paint the lens of your searchlight? I don't know. But he's painting it black. You'd think somebody would notice that. But of course because he's been on good behavior he's been asked to uh, spruce up the prison hospital walls with a little bit of a mural and um, with every, all the other guards sort of uh, distracted by what's going on with the, the dictionary and the, and the other cons uh he takes it upon himself to attack them with buckets of paint uh, you put a, a large you know two gallon bucket of paint down over someone's head and they're going to be in a bit of trouble they're not only going to see but that paint is going to be toxic you have to remember this is also the days of lead paint so rainbow man you have committed some long-term felonies here to these these guards hopefully their union will know about it and uh, <laughs> in this sort of uh, comic book trope of uh, th- this sort of reminds me of Foghorn Langhorn painting himself with invisible ink. Well, he's painted the, uh, his own guards or his own crooks and himself with black paint as they run out into the night and somehow get beyond the, uh, the prison walls. Doesn't really say how he's gotten out of the prison walls. I assume he's gotten a hold of some keys somehow, and we get one of my great, famous 1940s trope. Um, this looks like a uh, a young Jack Kirby or one of the Newsboy Legion, um, giving us a little bit of exposition that the Rainbow Man has uh, has broken prison. This attracts the attention of Stuff, and Stuff phones Greg Saunders. Greg Saunders goes, yep, I'll tell the vigilante. Ah, comics. Because comics, Stuff still has not tumbled to the fact that his favorite cowboy singer is his crime-fighting partner. Oh, the miracles of what a red bandana over your face can do. (laughs) Which is really strange, considering that... uh, Greg Saunders basically wears the same clothes as the Vigilante. He just take, drops his angora straps, turns his bandana around, pulls up over his face, and he hasn't even bothered to change his hat here. And, uh, this is probably a shout-out to Barton Gray and to Chris Franklin, who loved the white hat of the Vigilante, and I hate it. I like it better when he's got a tan one. Well, here he's got a gray cowboy hat, uh, which is sort of, uh, painted mm, almost uh, blue gray to the point of blue so uh, maybe we're gonna have to have a watch out for the color of Greg Saunders and Vigilante's hats from now on. Uh, We get to the train station and of course uh, Mort and the two Mort's either Weisinger or Mort have uh, basically told us what the soundtrack of this fight is gonna be Greg has told Stuff to meet him at the railroad terminal, track twenty-nine, and of course they are waiting for the Chattanooga Limited. Pardon me, boys, that's the Chattanooga Choo Choo, track twenty-nine. And uh, Vidge, before uh, Stuff starts to say that we're going to swing down to the tune of Chattanooga Choo Choo, uh, great Stuff, or sorry, the Vigilante rather, goes, "I hear the train a comin'." And of course, this is a good solid decade before we'll ever hear Johnny Cash sing those immortal words. Maybe uh, Greg and Johnny had some uh, had some uh, jam sessions together, and we have the usual fighty fighty McFightstein with mailbags, um, stuff to, stuff in the dictionary square off. They they don't like each other very much, and this is their second. Uh, second round in the last few issues and uh, we get one of these great uh, banters between stuff and Greg as they try to uh, out rhyme each other hey Vidge low bridge thanks stuff that's enough oh you're poets and you don't know what knows it uh, stuff gets onto to one of those baggage carts which by the way are still used at Amtrak stations and i have one of these in the museum and we recently repainted it and we we took it through one of our local parades and uh of course track 29 may prove to be stuffs waterloo as the the baggage cart gets away from him and it's headed for an oncoming train as it pulls into the station and of course as long as uh greg saunders has that lariat stuff will always be be safe, and uh, he manages to snag him off of the cart in time before the uh, before the Chattanooga Limited smashes the, uh, the baggage cart into pieces. And this is how uh, the Rainbow Man is communicating his plans. He's been sending notes to, that the vigilante can pick up. And of course, this is always the, the great trope. Uh, Rainbow Man is standing in here for the Riddler here. He's just dropping off clues. And, of course, the clues must correspond to colors. And Vigilante can always figure it out. Um, We're back in his hideout, which seems to be at the White Building. Uh, Vig crashes in, but not before... He and stuff stumble into one of the Rainbow Man's death traps. And they basically uh, fall into a pit. And this pit manages to have movable walls that will come toward each other. And just think of the trash compactor in Star Wars 4. And this is what the uh, Rainbow Man's going to do. And he's planning his jobs according with one of those uh, Wheel of Fortune type wheels. And it comes up gray. Is gray even a color? Hello, Dave McIlvaney. You always comment on these sorts of things. And to keep the color motif, and I don't really know how this works, but the uh, closing walls death trap, apparently the light at the top is going to change. uh, Darker in hue as they are slowly crushed to death. So somehow these walls will ch- will change the colors of the lenses on this light. Um, gray, of course, has uh, dictated what uh, the Rainbow Man's crime that he's going to pull off. And they managed to get the to rob an armored car and they put the money from the armored car into grandma gray's pie truck but the pie truck is painted actually yellow oh you are so clever so are greg and stuff worried back in their death trap of the month of course not because greg always has his spurs on you know, Rainbow Man, did you not learn to take his spurs off? How many, how many uh, issues are we in here? And Rainbow Man has even fought him once. Why do you leave his spurs on? But of course, the uh, the bad guys are far away from these um, slow, necessarily slow death traps, because they just assume that it's going—they're going to be killed. Um, Greg digs his spurs into the bricks, crawls to the top, throws his lariat down again to stuff, and stuff climbs the rope. I should talk about the coloring on stuff here. Um, We're into that weird era of how you color people of other races. Stuff is a Chinese-American who, thankfully, isn't stereotyped in a in Chinese way, which is very, very rare, of course, and we've, we've spoken that on uh, previous episodes. But here he's given this copper color, which is very much accented because he's wearing shorts. So we're seeing his bare arms, bare legs, and his face, and it's that uh, very chop-chop uh, sort of a copper color. Which I guess is unfortunate, but we have to realize at this point in time, I think the palettes that the uh, the printers and the colorists in the comic process um, had to have. We're, we're just happy that stuff is never characterized the way his uh, fellow Chinese-American wing is in the Seven Soldiers of Victory or Crimson Avenger stories. Um... Well, as it happens, when Vidge and stuff get out of their, their death trap and they go to the top floor of the building, well, Grandma Gray's Pies, the truck that the Rainbow Man appropriated to haul the loot from the armored car, just happens to be speeding by the building where the Rainbow Man's hideout is. So, obviously, he's, he's come back and didn't probably think that Vidge and stuff would still be there so how are they going to deal with this from the third floor well stuff sees a flagpole and in comics flagpoles are always horizontally jutting out from buildings well uh v- Vidge manages to shinny out here there on a ledge grab one of these flagpoles with the american flag on it and he uses it like a spear and puts it into the roof of the Grandma Gray's pie trucks. Well, what is that going to do? Well, the flag is upside down. Just think about it. We're in April 1942. The Doolittle Raid is happening tomorrow, four months out from Pearl Harbor. What's the worst thing you could do to an American flag in New York City at this point in time when we're in war fervor? display it upside down well this catches the attention of the police apparently the armored car and the speeding pie van hasn't caught their attention but that upside down flag has and we get not one but two car loads of police that pull over the van because it's against the law to fly our country's flag upside down come on I think I'll talk about more of that, that more at the end, about flag protocol. Well, this certainly gets the di- ire up of New York's finest. And just about at this point in time, Vigilante has caught up, gotten down to the level. Uh, and uh, it's important to note that it's the police that have apprehended the Rainbow Man and the gang. Um, now, Rainbow Man's taking a, making a bolt for it, even though he's got four sets of guns pulled on him. He pulls his own gun, but Vidge has come in and uh, basically knocks the monocle and the smile right off of Rainbow Man's face with one punch. One punch! And stuff gets uh, a bit of a tackle in on him, too. So that's the end of the story. Now, flag protocol. Ah, uh, this is something that has driven me nuts this mm-hmm. past uh, year. We, if if you if you're listening to this from the United States or from other other parts of the Earth, you may or may not have heard that uh, we've had a bit of a, uh, a political wrangle here in Canada, as we have. We're we're in a, a very unfortunate election campaign, and amid that, uh, we had the discovery of 200 bodies in Kamloops, BC, that belonged to Indigenous children who were part of the Canadian government's century long program of educating Indigenous children in something called residential schools, and that uh, program did not go well. We've always we've known about this for a very long time, but many of the bodies, because of how, you know, these schools were kept, or kept badly, um, these bodies were not known. Over time, ground penetrating radar over the summer has produced almost six thousand bodies of uh, the probably estimated ten to twenty thousand children that died in this Indian residential school program over a century uh this popped up in june of 2021 this year just before our national holiday canada day and uh, let's just say a lot of municipalities decided that this probably wasn't the day to act very proud of canada and so a lot of uh flags went down in protocol at half mast and if, as usual, when this sort of thing happens, we get cries of cancel culture and we're of Canada. And of course, you can see the political lines start to dive up. That uh, Some people thought that the flag should have been up to the top of the poll on Canada Day. And I personally uh, went through so much anguish with management and other people on this. I just decided no flags at all were going up on that day and uh i had one other pole on the museum grounds it isn't really seen from the street level that i put that at uh at half mast and even at that i, w- I was taken to task uh, so eventually we did put the polls up on september 30th of this year um, just within a few weeks of this recording uh canada instituted a day of truth and reconciliation um, that will be on the books as a national holiday or at least uh, a national day of observance of the tragedy that happened with those Indigenous schools. And it's it's a huge blot mark on the red maple leaf, I can tell you that. And uh, I don't think Canada Days will ever be the same. So what does this have to do with Vigilante and his upside-down flag? Well, in actual flag protocol, and none of these are laws. These are usually just uh, traditions that people get confused with laws. There are things, uh, protocols like the United States flag, the Star Spangled Banner never touches the ground, um, which is interesting because uh, we've had sunset ceremonies in... uh, in my town of Lethbridge where I flow near where at the, uh, the going down of the sun, the flags are all lowered, like all of the different military and national flags are lowered to the ground. And if we happen to have a bearer with an American flag there, their flag stays up. And that's the, the sort of, uh, variety of flag protocols that you can get. Uh, Sometimes if you just happen to do something wrong with a flag, I know that uh, we live in a windy area, and if I leave a flag up long enough for it to get a little bit ragged, we get phone calls. <laughs> so I can tell you, when the winds usually start in the fall, my flags go down. They're just not there to be uh, to be battered or beat up or to be criticized. Um, some places don't have that luxury. The flags do have to stay up, and so, you know, Protocol says Canadian flag will be replaced when it becomes ragged. And I would imagine that's the same in many countries and many municipalities. A flag upside down in nautical law is usually a signal going back to the 1800s that your flag, your ship is in distress. So that if another ship came along, didn't have communications with it, they would say, oh well you've got you've got trouble and somebody will come to the rescue and i think that's probably what the police are in this vigilante tale are acting on although like i said we're in a patriotic we're warf, fervor here in the spring of 1942 and uh, a flag upside down will cause attention will cause attention of other ways it may be that at that point in time, perhaps in the city of New York, maybe that was a local ordinance. Do not display a flag upside down. Um, sometimes you will see things during political campaigns and times of stress where flags will be put upside down as uh, people consider that their country's in distress just because they don't happen to like who is in office and who is leading in charge. Um, I tend to think that's a uh, a misuse of the flag for political purposes, and that would probably get my dander up. I've I've seen that done a lot, especially on Facebook. You see it. Um, I don't like who's the president right now, so I'm going to put the flag upside down, and somebody else will say, "What are you keep doing? Put that flag back up." So I I tend to think that this. Uh, This bit with the flag being upside down was a little play on that fervor. Flag protocols are controversial, and um, I'm pretty sure I'll probably get some letters on what I have just said about flags. Because I think if you want to have an argument between two people, just display a flag differently. But uh, for a final word on uh, Meskin's style in this story, uh, this strange thing that they have done with uh, shrinking the panels here on a regular size story. Now, it's very interesting storytelling technique, and yeah, you can see it show a lot of action. But uh, my concern is... Mort really seems very, very constrained within his own panel grid system. And uh, it would be nice that uh, if he could just be given a, a better page count, more pages, even one or two extras, so that he could expand this story. You know, you you talk about the... We, we talked today about compressed storylines and decompressed storylines. Well, the art is compressed in this, and the story... Is compressed within the art further so it would just be nice if we could just you know be given that extra page back open to to crack things up a little bit better and don't be sure sh- uh, fool. there's a lot of things going on here in this story um, I just feel that uh, Mort was a bit constrained here and there and it could be that perhaps that Weisinger had uh, done these scripts ahead of time and didn't realize that he was going to be losing page count and it was just up to Meskin to have to uh, to deal with it. Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just love saying that. Thank you, Shag. I love that you love saying that. And thank you to all the many who have followed uh, the Prairie Justice Twitter feed, uh, Prairie Justice at Greg Saunders Vigilante podcast, uh, the handle at Tolton Gord, and also the many on Facebook as well. And that is a Facebook feed uh, going by the same name. And... Um, I'm really bad at uh, naming all of my Twitter followers. Uh, sorry, this is not the GLI International podcast. I'm not going to name like two to three hundred odd followers here all in a row. Perhaps I'll do that uh, on some catch up episodes sometime in the future. But right now, uh, my voice is cracking and I'm having a little bit of a hard time. I'm not going to read out a, a 200 name list. You know who you are. Thank you very much for following. And thank you very much for your interest in this podcast and your interest in um, all things Vigilante. I would be remiss if I did not mention the intrepid Dave McElveney because uh, at least once every two weeks, I could probably set my clock on it, I go to my mailbox and find out that Canada Post has indeed still accepted mail from the United States. And, and soon, I guess, we'll be, they'll be accepting visitors as well sounds like the border may be opening, uh, despite uh, the province of Alberta's inability to also contain COVID. But at any rate, thank you very much, Dave, for the many postcards that that you've been sending. Uh, The latest one I got was a quote from C.S. Lewis. A children's story that can only be enjoyed by children is not a good children's story in the slightest and isn't that the whole reason that we all still read 80 year old comics 50 year old comics like <laughs> talk about feeling old um i think i have been probably be reading comics since 1968 and i do not want to do the math on that speaking of dave he has emailed uh, uh regularly through I believe every episode we've done so far and this one is a little bit different he's emailed one um, letter for seven episodes and I shall explain greetings Ranger Gord I wanted to wait until I listened to all seven parts of this mini series of episodes to get an interview before writing in as always these were fun to listen to the format of the comic reminded very very much of old JSA adventures and many of the early adventures of the JLA in which the team would receive a challenge from some villain requiring them to split up to attend to threats in various locations. Each hero or sometimes sub team would be then be spotlighted in individual chapters of the story dealing with their part and with the team coming together at the end to take care of the villain and set them off on their adventures often this involves some information or objects that gave each hero a piece of the puzzle so all they needed to get together to piece them together either literally or figuratively is a really good story formula for a super team comic and i always enjoyed this kind of story especially when i was was a boy yes um to interrupt dave um so did i and i also can remember a point when even at marvel when they like to pretend they were too cool for the school Even the Avengers and the Defenders were often breaking off into sub-teams. And this is a Gardner-Fox trope um, that uh, in JLA in the late 60s, when he retired, Danny O'Neill went away from. And then when Len Wayne came back to it with JLA 100, uh, introducing the Seven Soldiers, ironically, he went straight back to that uh, splitting off into sub-teams. To get back to Dave in this case the black star was a good villain sending out lesser villains to seem to do his dirty work while actually providing distraction so he could obtain the radioactive items he wanted all along of course as is often the case he was hoisted with his own petard in the end a very satisfying resolution as always your voice worked helped bring the story to life particularly your jimmy de and strother martin And your musical choices were spot on, starting, of course, with the Magnificent Seven theme in each part. The best possible piece for the Seven Soldiers of Victory. I also enjoyed the location-related music in each chapter. The New Orleans jazz pieces for the Shining Night in New Orleans. The Pirate Nautical pieces for the Star Spangled and Stripesy's Adventures at Sea. The Amusement pieces for Green Arrow and Speedy's Adventure at Coney Island. The Minneapolis, Minnesota pieces for Crimson Avenger and Wings' Adventures in the Twin Cities, and the Southwestern pieces for Vigilante and Billy Gunn's Adventure Out West. I must say at least one piece may have been a better selection than you knew. In The Mystery of the Santa Claus Pirate, you used the term, you used the Jimmy Buffett song, A Pirate Looks at 40. Not only does this song reference a pirate, but Jimmy Buffett himself also has a connection to the Santa Claus part of the title since he was born on Christmas Day and I did not know that until this point so thank you very much Dave uh, back to Dave he says although this was a altogether rather this was a wonderfully enjoyable series of episodes and I think breaking things up by chapter made good sense. It made each part more manageable than if you'd gone through the entire comic in one episode and allowed you to focus on the individual members of the seven soldiers, giving them their due. Well done, sir. Live long and prosper. Dave McIlvaney. Thank you, Dave. And uh, yes, I have to say that even though it kind of went through the summer long um, on me when I had the, the rare spare time to do it, I have to say this was a a less rushed and a much more enjoyable way to do things although sometimes i looked and i went these i gotta do another chapter of sound effects i gotta do another chapter of uh music blending and that's why i kind of went away through the commentaries because the commentaries i thought were starting to get very very repetitive uh, at least on those chapters and i think i will probably continue that format um coming up sooner than i'd like we have uh leading comics number three which features a character by the name of Dr. Doomy. I say that because Alan Middleton will be very, very angry if I call him by Dr. Doom, because there is only one Dr. Doom. But at any rate, uh, I look forward to that chapter as well, because it also um, t- derives into a all-star squadron, issue as well they kind of sort of blend together with a one of roy thomas's uh stories took a took an issue to retell that story within one episode so i'll probably uh somehow blend those two together and uh there may be some big, big a bit of a surprises but uh i'm in no hurry to get to that i think uh that'll be it sounds like a christmas holidays project to me I probably should signal out a few people, uh, at least one podcast and one man <laughs> who did uh, did really help me to do uh, some of my marketing. Um, I didn't feel that I really marketed The uh, the Last Seven Soldiers well on Twitter. I wasn't doing it in seven parts. But uh, Max Traver of the Weird Warriors podcast, and if you're not listening to Weird Warriors podcast, um, i think it's just a a great little podcast you may not know much or be interested in weird war tales but uh, i believe max and his partner have a great rapport on this uh max brings the the uh the comics background and uh, his partner whose name is is just not in my head right now i'm sorry but he has a military background and he brings back in the military history and trivia To sort of back up um, these stories. And they love these stories. But uh, they are critical of them. And uh, I I wasn't a big weird war tales uh, or horror books at all back in those days uh, of my reading. But uh, listening to them, I I always liked military comics. And... uh, I believe this does at least give some due to people like uh, Joe Kubert and Sam glansman and others um that kept that uh, that very very unique subgenre going through the 1970s. So that's going to do it um episode 19 with action 50. Wow, we're into Action Comics 50 already. Uh we'll be coming up uh as I always say, when it comes up. So uh keep a strain on her. Have a good Halloween. I think I'm gonna get this out before Halloween. And uh, uh thank you once again for listening to a Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders vigilante podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just love saying that.
1: In the corner of a dog bar room. Said an old cowboy singing western tune. Singing songs that he learned as a child. All about the west back when it was
0: wild. Well, so long, partners, you've been listening to Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast. All materials used in Prairie Justice are believed to be of fair use and remain the copyright of all copyright holders. Stories, images, and the character of Greg Saunders, the vigilante, and all other characters used are the property of DC Comics and DC Entertainment. Feedback for Prairie Justice can be left on Facebook under the name Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast. Email can go to VigilanteCast at gmail.com Website is gourds Roundup all one word at And we sure hope to see you all back again for another ride with the Cowboy Crusader. Vaya con Dios compadres eh?
1: Cause he's the land of the singing cowboy